The following program is pre-recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor to talk with you about what's new in healthy living, share some down-to-earth advice, and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Yes, we're going to talk about ultra-processed foods and how bad they are for us. Shocking, shocking. But actually, this data is shocking. You'll be surprised to find out what's going on with ultra-processed foods. And breast implants are connected to some forms of cancer, according to the FDA. And we've known a lot about breast implants over the years, but we're finding out even more about them. And you really, after 30 years of dealing with breast implants, maybe it's more like 40 years, we find there still are problems with them, and can they be used safely? Mm. And what's our special recipe today? Everybody loves ramen. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) loves ramen. That's exactly That's our recipe? That's our recipe. It's a listener-sponsored recipe. We're going to have our listener on the phone. Everyone loves ramen. I used to watch watch that show every so often. Not very often. Did you? Everyone loves ramen? No, I never did. You were never... You never you never watch that. Well, I don't yeah. watch TV. Yeah, you know yeah, that. you know what? That's right. You're not you're not a TV. I'm not much of a TV watcher, but I mean, we have a caller it's waiting. To, can, all we get to, right. can we get to the Let's go to the caller. 800-462-7413 if you'd like to talk with Zorba. Let's welcome our uh, our first caller, a listener in Astoria, New York. Hi. A good fall to all. <laughs> <laughs> How can we help? My question is this. As I'm a member of the Monacular minority since birth, mm-hmm. uh, something surfaced in my right eye about five years ago, and I thought that uh, Dr. McCool was, I said, do you think that I'm a car? He said, you have something called traction. Mm-hmm. And I understand that operations can be done to remove this flickering in the center of the eye. If I look up, down, to, or to the left or the right, it's mm-hmm. clear. Sometimes, other times, straight ahead, it's flickering. Right. right Do you right, think right. that perhaps taking uh, some sort of powerful uh, supplement might help me? Well, you've had it. So how how many years have you had it for? I would say uh, over five years, over maybe fi- seven. Over but five it's getting years. worse, so to the point that I can't read. And, and I was a, oh. a, a maniacal reader as a child. I read with a flashlight under the sheets, so... So you, you can really imagine my frustration. Right, right. Uh, well, there's an issue. So what happens is uh, the eyeball has two uh, humors, they're called, and they, they're spaces, the aqueous humor and the vitreous humor. And the vitreous humor is the main thing that sort of blows up our eyeball in the middle of the globe. And when it solidifies, then it produces traction on the retina and pulls on the retina. And that's what actually is producing the sparky colors and lights, and it can actually lead, to, in some cases, to something called a retinal detachment, uh, which can which can, which is a very serious thing. If not attended to right away, it can actually lead to blindness, and there's surgery for it. But that's what's going on in your eye, most likely. It's really, it's really the vitreous uh, that's pulling on there. And the issue is, we don't, other than making sure we're hydrated, we don't really have a good way of doing anything about this. Now, but, but it's interfered with your reading. What is your, what is your eye doctor, your ophthalmologist recommended? Have they talked about, I mean, they said surgery, but do they feel surgery is going to do something? Because that's based on, on what's going on with your retina. Dr. McCool and Dr. Shulman recommend not to do anything as I am a member of the monocular minority since birth. Got you. So what happened to your other eye? Your other eye never developed? Uh, I was three months premature. I, lit- uh, I actually weighed two pounds when I was born. So wow. the fact that I'm wow. alive is, is incredible. And having battled uh, with the help of God and Professor Tsulia's uh, thyroidal cancer, 
God loves me and the devil is afraid of me. I gotta t- I've got to tell you something. If uh, How old are you this year, sir? 75. I'll tell you, because two two-pound babies 75 years ago did not make it. I mean, there were yeah. most of them, vast majority of them did not make it. So Two pounds, two mm-hmm. ounces, yeah. just a kilo yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. Your ophthalmologists are exactly right. If I were in your position... I would do my. I would not have surgery unless I absolutely needed to have the surgery because because the risk of the surgery definitely in somebody with monocular vision definitely outweighs the benefits of the surgery in this situation. So, so that's where unfortunately it's books on tape. That's what you have to do, or you do have to you, use. Do you speak Greek, doctor? Do I speak Greek? No, I don't speak Greek. I mean, I've got, I mean, I, I can dance. I can dance Greek, but I can't speak Greek. Drobiso, <laughs> <laughs> which means shame on you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, a great show and be healthy and be well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Really appreciate that call at 800-462-7413. You know, it's such an issue when you've got one eye and one eye at birth and you don't want to operate on that other eye unless you are forced to do it because the risk can be so absolutely uh, absolutely not worth it. Hmm. So what's this, Zorba? Uh, ultra-processed foods are linked to cancer and early death. Well, it's linked to colon cancer. So I want to talk a little bit about colon cancer and esophageal cancer. Colon cancer is problematic in the U.S. It's not problematic in Japan. In Japan, esophageal cancer and gastric cancer are much more common. And we've known this for many years. We've known this for decades. Now, when the Japanese go to Hawaii, it's very common for Japanese to actually, uh, some Japanese will actually emigrate to Hawaii and live in Hawaii. Once they move to Hawaii and they start eating American food, they are much more likely to have colon cancer. So we know that food and cancer and colon cancer are intimately linked together. And colon cancer in and of itself is interesting. When I started medical school, colon cancer was within 20 centimeters of the rectum. In other words, it was actually very close to the rectum. And since I've been in school, you know, a long time ago, that was 45 years ago, it's now moved through the entire colon. So colon cancer is not in the same place it was. 90% of it used to be within 20 centimeters. Now it's, it's all over the colon. So we don't know what's going on. But we do know there are environmental issues. So they looked – this is a very important article published in the British Medical Journal. And they looked at ultra-processed foods, soups. This is what they looked at. Soups, sauces, frozen pizza, ready-to-eat meals, pleasure foods. I love the phrase. (laughs) Pleasure Pleasure foods. foods. (laughs) Only the Brits would have a term. Pleasure foods. Hot dogs, sausages, French fries, sodas. Cookies, cakes, candies, donuts, ice cream, and many more. I think I think they're right, don't you? Uh, pleasure foods are really a good name. Anyway, now we know that these are also associated with obesity. We know they're associated with cardiovascular disease because a lot of them have used to have trans fat. In bed, but they specifically looked at cancers. So 200,000 men and women followed for 28 years. They found, it's the, and by the way, colon cancer is the third most commonly caused cancer. They found that ultra-processed foods, especially ham, bacon, sausage, hot dogs, beef jerky, corned beef, often eaten more by men than women, by the way, have been associated with a higher risk, a 29% higher risk of getting colon cancer in men, mm. not in women. Which, which is kind of interesting. Now, they have found, of course, obesity and other issues, but we don't know exactly why it's in men and not in women. Now, the study did find also that eating yogurt, which is a processed food, some think it's an ultra-processed food, but I, I wouldn't say it, was actually, uh, and, and some whole grain foods, uh, actually reduced the risk of colon cancer in men and women. So it was the ultra-processed foods that you think of when you go to... Uh, a, a typical convenience store, and you're going to get something that's frozen, you're going to throw it in. That stuff is associated with colon cancer. So, I mean, the answer, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's the third most common cancer in America. And the answer is, we've got to start making our own food at home. I mean, that's ultimately the answer. And we have to look at all the prepackaged food in the store. We have to look at the fact that it's high salt, high fat. Uh, we've gotten trans fats out of it. But the reality is these things over a 25 or 30-year period kill us with cancer, mm. which is still the most common, third most common uh, cancer death. And here it is. Richard R. Nixon said, we're going to have a war on cancer, right? 
and a war on cancer. I love it, you know, because we were in the more, you know, Vietnam War win that war motif. And uh, and then Biden said, you know, we're going to have a a 10-year, 20-year period. We're going to wipe out cancer. I don't think we're going to wipe out cancer. I mean, that's pie in the sky. It would be like, you know, it's not going to happen. But just like we know that smoking increases your risk of colon cancer dramatically, we now know that ultra-processed foods – Read the back of the package. If it's got 20 or 30 things in it, come on. It's obviously ultra-processed that these are associated with colon cancer. And maybe what we ought to do is have that on the label. Uh, just like we do, uh, just like we do with tobacco, may be associated with colon cancer. If the feds said we have to put that on the label, can you imagine the outcry we would have oh, yeah. from the food manufacturing people? Forget it; that would never happen. It's really interesting. Eight hundred four six two seven four one three is our number. That's one eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Okay, Zorba, we love when our listeners chime in to lend their tips or expertise to the show. So let's hear a few. The first listener tip came from Wadsworth, Illinois. Dr. Zorba, so our veterinarian has our dog on distilled water so it doesn't further develop kidney stones. She had kidney stones, had them removed. And ever since she's been on distilled water, we get her checked periodically and no more kidney stones. As a matter of fact, I love it. I think it tastes great. I love your show and that I keep my radio on in the car and at home, always on this channel. Take care. I love uh, Dr. Zorba's program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving the program. Uh, There's no evidence in humans, no credible evidence that distilled water keeps humans from getting kidney stones. Now, there might be evidence in dogs uh, that I have no idea for. Uh, You know, I find distilled water tastes flat. I just don't like the taste of distilled water. But if you want to drink it, fine. You know, unfortunately, kidney stones really come and go. I've had two kidney stones in my life. And uh, the last kidney stone I had, oh, I don't know, was 20 or 25 years ago. And maybe if I had been drinking distilled water for 25 years, I would say I haven't had a kidney stone since I started drinking distilled water. So these are really difficult things to actually prove, except for people who have kidney stones continuously. But uh, so if you like the taste of it, and you have kidney stones, and you want to try it, you can do it, but no evidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's another tip. This one from a listener in Wisconsin. Uh, Dr. Zorro, I was listening to this guy talk about his hiccups and his nerves. If you take two fingers and reach behind the back of your neck, there's two sore spots there. If you rub them very softly, they'll take care of that. You can feel it come right up your body. The ankles are relaxed. It goes all the way, and I'll even cure headaches. I've been experimenting myself for years, and I know what I can do. I can be driving down the road, and if I feel a headache coming on, I just take one hand back there and massage that very softly, and I can take that. The headache will go away. So you try that in one of your patients and see what he says. Just rub very softly and talk to him. Say, can I rub the back of your neck? And if he says, yeah, just sit there and talk to him. He says, you know I think you may be able to feel it in your feet. And you'll say, yeah. And you sit there and talk another minute or so, and you say, oh, I think that might be up to your knees. And you'll say, yeah. <laughs> and, and you sit there and talk some more, and you'll say, no, is it up to your hips? And you'll say, yeah. And you go right up to the top of your head, because that takes care of the nerves that goes down to that knee. And that'll relax that nerve, and it'll probably relax his hiccups. Uh, so thank you very much. And I hope you try it. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you very much. Cures for hiccups. Always looking for another cure for hiccups for some people. But I just massaged the back of my head. I really don't have sore spots, but there are occipital prominences in the back of my head. And I just massage them. And you know what? They make me feel really good. And, and I, you know, and I do actually feel it all the way, all the way down to my, all the way down to my ankles. You're not doing it, Tom. You're not looking at you. You're not doing it. See, I am experimenting all the time with this. You didn't buy it. Anyway, you know what? Massaging the back of your neck for many, many people does get them to relax. There's something about touching the back of the neck and the occipital nerves, these superficial nerves that are back there can be responsible for headaches. Good tip. Thank you. Uh, Finally, Zorba, here's a listener from Oklahoma. 
Hi, Zorba. I don't have a question. I probably should. I have enough aches and pains. However, every week on the show, you say, call in if you have questions or look us up on our Facebook page. Well, so I was just curious, looked you up on the Facebook page, and I must say, Usually, people do not look like their voices, but you do. You look just like what I imagined <laughs> from your voice. So I don't know what that means. There might be some psychological meaning for that. I have no idea. However, have a great day and enjoy your show. Bye. Well, what do you think, Tom? Come on. Do I look like I sound? Come on. Close your eyes. Tell me if you can visualize me. <laughs> Now visualize me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. What a good-looking doctor. You know something? I'm going to start massaging the back of your neck, and we'll see whether or not you feel it into your toes. 800-462-7413 if you have a question for Zorba. Before we take a break now, Zorba, we always love hearing from the grammar police. But here's a new one. This email came from a very slippery but seldom Heard from division of the grammar police. This one is from the oil police. Oh no, it's the oil <laughs> police. Okay, Zorba. <laughs> the following email came to us from a listener named Nancy who writes Zorba, on a recent show, you said peanut oil has a higher smoke point than other oils. However, soybean oil, the source of most vegetable oil in the U.S., is actually a bit higher. 453 degrees Fahrenheit for soy oil versus 450 degrees for peanut Oil. Oh, very interesting. That that I didn't know. I knew that uh, soy oil has a much higher uh, smoke point uh, than olive oil, and that brought up a good point. Um, most Chinese food or traditional Chinese food, yeah, peanut oil is used there, and it may be because peanut oil, which has a high smoke point, is more easily obtainable in China than uh, than soy oil. Uh, also, I didn't know that most vegetable oil is actually soybean oil. I know it's often mixed when they. Say say, vegetable oil with cottonseed oil and other oils. So I think, good point, you want to have an oil with high smoke point if you're really going to, you know, if you're going to take veggies and you're going to really make them really hot so they cook quickly. So thank you, thank you for the oil police for correcting my concepts of oil. Always vigilant, always vigilant, always there to help us with things that uh, we don't know. You know, the, the, these police people, you know, they, they serve and protect. That's what they do. They serve and protect our health. Does 453 make any, and 450, is there no difference? Really? If, you're, if you're picky, it makes a difference. <laughs> did, did Zorba get something wrong on the show? Something really, really, really terribly wrong? Oil bet you'll let us know. Oh. Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up, more of your emails, and we'll have a guest join us for a special listener recipe. All of that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. I'm Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Our number is 800-462-7413. That's 800-462-7413. 
But now, Zorba, it's recipe time again. And this week, we're in for quite a treat. Today, we have a special guest joining us in on the fun. Amy Sousen joins us now. She's from McFarland, Wisconsin. She sent us a very simple yet healthy ramen recipe that she came up with. She didn't have a name for it, so we're calling it Everybody Loves Ramen. (laughs) Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Love the show. How How do you like the name? I love the name. See? I can't take credit for that. Your producer Carl and his team yeah. came up with that. Yeah, he has he has he has a goofy sense of humor, so he can come up with lots of names. Yeah, I th- I think his other life he was sort of a brand name consultant, but not really. So so how'd you come up with this? Well, you know, it started in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, you know of course broke, and um, was at a couple of different classes and talking to people about what they were eating, and I had never even heard of ramen. And I found out that Wait a minute, you never, you never no. heard of ramen? No, so you didn't no. have it back in your in the house? 80s, I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard this food, this fabulous food for 10 cents a packet or whatever it cost right. Right. in right. college. Right. Um, and so I went home and I tried to make it. And classic, I didn't really follow the instructions. The instructions <laughs> really have you making soup. Uh-huh. Right? And right. so I just took some vegetables and really essentially turned it into a stir fry using the ramen in place of the rice. Uh-huh. And it really didn't occur to me that it was unique until this year when I joined a community-supported agriculture. There's a mm-hmm. CSA. Sure. And uh-huh. I don't probably have to tell you, Zorba, I know you love your fresh vegetables, mm-hmm. but in the spring, there are a lot of those spring greens that come through. Oh, and it wow, was a of course. great way uh-huh. to use those up. Huh. So I posted it on our group Facebook page, and people really liked it, and it's so flexible. You can make it with any vegetables or fruits, really, that you want, and it really moves and bends with whatever you like. It looks great. And I still eat ramen. I mean, I'm not in college anymore. I haven't been in college in 50 years. And actually, when I was in college, there was no ramen, or there wasn't any ramen back in the back in the 60s. Ramen did not exist, or if it did, it existed only in rarefied areas of the country, certainly not in Madison, Wisconsin. So I've got to try this recipe. I have not tried it, but I'm going to try it with ramen. So um, I do make it with a rice ramen now, which of course is much, much healthier. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I am not familiar with rice ramen. Let me, Carl, do you know about rice ramen? I've seen it. I, I don't know if I've bought it, but I've seen it. Oh, we'll have to purchase it and actually try it. Right, Tom, do you know about rice ramen? No idea. <laughs> no idea. Tom's just along for the ride. So it. that's you got along it. for the ride. So, well, let's make the recipe. So we start out with a tablespoonful of vegetable oil, olive oil, or avocado oil. You like avocado oil? I do. If I'm cooking with a lot of vegetables, like the spring greens, I mm-hmm. have avocado oil in a spray, mm-hmm. and you need so much less. You need so, so much less. Oh, I'll have to try that. I do have avocado oil in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so for this, three quarters of a cup of sliced carrots and three quarters of a cup of sliced and quartered zucchini. Yeah. Half a cup of red peppers, a cup of parboiled broccoli florets. So you, what do you do with the broccoli florets? You said parboiled. Yeah, what I do is I steam them in the microwave uh-huh. for a few minutes mm-hmm. um, before I put them in. How long do you steam Usually them Usually about two and a half, three minutes, something like that. You, you still want them to be a little crisp, but it'll bring out the dark green in the florets. Mm-hmm. And then when you stir fry them, then they'll pick up the flavor of the other vegetables mm-hmm. as well. Good. Half cup of diced red onion. I like the colors. A cup of diced mm-hmm. tomato. Use those in a can usually, or do you use fresh tomatoes? What do you do? That was fresh. Mm-hmm. I, I made this particular recipe um, when Carl asked me to make it mm-hmm. and take pictures. So that was kind of what I had on hand. Wonderful. We're going to have pictures for this. Great. And the two packages of crushed rice ramen noodles, crushing them, you crush them how? With a hammer? With your fingers? What do you, how do you crush I've them? I've done it both ways. Um, it's very satisfying to use the meat tenderizer. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Get out uh, the aggression on the, the on the rice noodles. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But you can you can just smash them with your mm-hmm. hand. They're all aligned. The rice noodles, like the other ramen noodles, mm-hmm. are all aligned vertically. So when you crush it on the side, it'll crush with your hand very easily. And you just want to break them up into bite-sized pieces. So you don't want to crush them into a powder. You just want them in bite-sized pieces. Exactly. Got you. And mm-hmm. drizzle with balsam. Okay, so tell us how you make it. 
Well, it's, um, we start with a stir-fry kind of mentality, right? So you start with heating up that oil in the fry pan. I love garlic, um, so I will sometimes put in mince in some garlic and put it in there right away and get that tasty. And then you just sort of, um, whichever vegetables you're using, you cook them in reverse order with how long it'll take. Mm-hmm. So carrots are one of my favorite to use because they're so beautiful in, in any dish, and especially once they start to glaze and brown up a little bit. So I started this particular recipe with the carrots, mm-hmm. added the zucchini once the carrots were well on their way, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of keep adding as I'm going. So um, I finish with the tomato because, of course, they just need to really be heated through. Mm-hmm. Once you have all of the vegetables stir-fried, what I do is I push them all to the side. Mm-hmm. I usually just use a fry pan. We do have a wok, but, uh, you know, I have a nonstick fry pan that I'll just push them to the side on and create a little well with all of the vegetables where I'll then drop those crushed ramen noodles into the center of that well. And I add a little bit of water, enough water to just hydrate those ramen noodles, Mm -hmm. cook it like that for a little bit, and then stir-fry it all together and then dress it however you want. I love balsamic on it. Mm. I will do that. I almost always throw out the seasoned packet that comes with the ramen noodles Mm -hmm. because those are so loaded with sodium. Right, right, right. So I usually just throw that out and Mm -hmm. then use either like a balsamic Mm -hmm. Um, I have friends that use cumin. I have friends that use a hot sauce. Sounds um, great. There's just a hundred things that you can use. Yeah. I mean, this sounds really like like a wonderful dish when you've got fresh veggies around the house and it's easy and it's simple and it's quick. And I like it. So you give it, you put in enough water, about a cup, to hydrate mm-hmm. the noodles and then keep that around the noodles for about a minute or two until they, mm-hmm. until they puff up. Exactly. Now, the rice ramen doesn't puff up as much. Um, but you will know it'll start to get very pliable, mm-hmm. and it'll cook off. And I just stir fry it together. Then after that, once that water's cooked off, sounds wonderful. So uh, everyone you shared this with likes doing it. They do, and I think the flexibility is what everybody likes about it, and the fact that everybody runs into this problem where you purchase too much spinach, right? And it's right. about ready to wilt and go bad. It's a perfect use for that spinach, or. My husband and I have a long-standing joke about eggplants. He can't stand them. (laughs) I can can smuggle some eggplant in here, right? (laughs) But you cook the eggplant before you smuggle it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It is a wonderful, wonderful recipe. I really like this. And it's using something. And, you know, part of the issue is we have extra veggies around the house. We're not sure what to do with it. And also you can get more ramen noodles, less depending on the family or how many people that you're actually uh, you're actually cooking for. I just love it. And we've got to start cooking more like I talked about at the beginning of the show. Ultra-processed foods are really awful. And so the more we cook, the healthier we are. So. Thank you so much for sharing this recipe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. 800-462-7413 is our number. To get a copy of today's recipe, visit our website at zorbapasture.org or find us on Facebook. And please don't send us an actual letter because we won't open it up because we don't even have a letter opener at the station. <laughs> <laughs> you can give us a call if you'd like. We'd like to hear from you at 800 462 462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Heiko, Texas. Hi. Hello, Tom. How can we help? Well, I uh, have uh, had some concerns about muscular aches and pains, as would be expected of a 75-year-old man, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I hear a lot about the ill effects of refined sugar, even to the point of some people describe it as a poison. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I wanted to know what uh, Dr. Pastor has to say about refined sugar. I've been sweetening cereal and other things with honey, and I wondered if that made any difference at all. If that's a really, I mean, it's it's an excellent question to ask. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first of all, we eat too much sugar. 
no matter where it is. In other words, we're, I mean, part of our obesity epidemic is because of sugar. If you go into a, a, a typical convenience store, I look at it, a lot of people get their sugar basically as high fructose corn syrup. And they get it through what they're drinking. So if you go to the store and you get a Coke or any any bottle, bottle which is a sweet drink, it's 210 calories. And that's all a sugary substance, be it from corn, high fructose corn syrup, or refined sugar. High fructose corn syrup is clearly refined. Uh, or sugar, no matter which way you get it, it's sweet and it's not good for our body. And we consume an enormous amount of it. You know, we're sort of programmed because, you know, back 200 years ago, if you had something sweet that was really calorie dense and was good for us. So the question about refined sugar of any way is is really brilliant. It's hard kind of to answer. Now, honey... Uh, is different. It actually has a different makeup, we'll say, than beet sugar, which is beet sugar and cane sugar are the most common sugars that are used. And honey is different. And the, and the theory is honey will be metabolized differently in the body because it also has some micronutrients. And I think there's some truth to that. I think it really does get metabolized a bit differently. But once again, we're talking about the amount that you're actually doing. In other words, how much you're doing. The th- other thing about arthritis is the pain comes and goes. Don't you have some good good days and bad days when it comes to your arthritis? Surely. Do you know why you have good days and bad days? No. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You don't. <laughs> and the answer is we don't either. So I was having some bad wrist arthritis, went to went to my partner in the office, had an x-ray, and my wrists are just kind of awful. And then my wife said, why don't you go see a real doctor? So I went to a went to you like that went to a rheumatologist. You like that? Time. Went to a rheumatologist. She looked at my X-rays and she said, "Are you a doctor by day, bricklayer by night?" Because all the little bones in my wrist are gone. I said, "No, I'm not." She said, "Well, you know why it's bad? Because you've got a flare." I said, "Why do I have a flare?" She said, "You know why it's bad? Because you've got a flare." That was the answer. So, so it might be if you find that eating refined sugar causes you to have a flare, you stay away from refined sugar. Because the fact is, we do not know why flares occur. We don't have any good studies. It's real hard to do a study where you stayed away from refined sugar. It would be very hard to look at it over time because there are other factors that enter into it. So my recommendation is, the answer is maybe. There may be a food aspect to why we have flares in osteoarthritis, the arthritis of old age. And if we find that we eat better nutrition, we do know that if we exercise and we have better nutrition, we tolerate pain better. And we do know we eat too much sugar. So I think the idea of going to honey would be good to use on cereal and other things. But cutting out sugar overall is probably one of the best, you know, one of the best things you could do. So I hope I hope well, that answers. A related cause, a related cause uh, may be the fact that when my LDLs uh, elevated a little recently, the doctor tried to put me on a statin, mm-hmm. and I've never responded well to statins, and those produce the same kind of muscular and yes. joint change in some people. Yes. No, you're right. You're right, by the way. Statins are notorious for that. About 10 to 15 percent of the population can't tolerate that. There is a drug, a Stimby, a uh, Vitorin was a combination of a Stimby and a Statin, but a Stimby, easy, I can never spell it, azetamide, which is a Stimby. Azetamide, that's what it is. So azetamide is a drug that's different than a Statin, and there's some evidence that may, may, lower, may lower cholesterol, but eating right and exercising is probably going to be your best bet. So. Unless, unless All you're, right. So. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm also a pastor. That's P-A-S-T-O-R. <laughs> 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 and I listen, I listen to you on the way to church. <laughs> well, I thank, look forward to it every week. Well, thank, thank you. you from, from one pastor to another, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. <laughs> It's kind of fun to have two pastors on the show. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. And before the break, Zorba, let's do that segment where we give one of your naysayers some airtime. This is Disagreeing with the Doc. following email came from Carolyn, who lives in the Chicago suburbs. Greetings, Dr. Z. I am a big fan. 
A recent caller nice. was inquiring about the safety of using a microwave, and you said that would be all right. However, an important consideration would be the vessel used to heat the food. Plastics should be avoided. Also, since microwaving food isn't actually natural, it likely affects food in ways we aren't yet able to quantify. Well, first of all, you, you want to microwave in a micro-safe container. She brings up a good point. So you want to put it in a container that's safe for microwaving. And generally, plastic uh, is not. I mean, there are some plastic bowls. They're not glass bowls necessarily. There are plastics that are microwave-safe. Now, as for it not being natural, I disagree completely. Heating food by any process is not natural, of course, because you've got to do something with it. But it is something that we do all the time. And it makes the food often more digestible digestible proteins. Traditionally, once once we discovered fire and added fire to meat and other things back in the day, we were able to actually grow bigger because we were able to make the nutrients more available. So microwaving it, putting on a stove, throwing it on the grill, or just holding it over a fire. Those are all unnatural <laughs> ways of eating your food, but they're better for us as, uh, as humans. You like that fire thing, holding oh, yeah. it over. Oh, Can't yeah. you picture me taking some broccoli and holding it over an open fire? No, no, s'mores. That's what we open and pulled <laughs> over a fire. Yeah, <laughs> s'mores are a wonderful natural food that you can have over the fire that tastes really good. Okay. Now we'll have the s'more police. <laughs> Do you disagree with the good doc? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at... You know, I would like us some more right now. Zorba at WPR.org. You know, we need us some more recipe. Of course, everyone knows how to make us some more. More of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about. More listener emails as well. All coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number again, 1-800-462-7413. But before our next call, Zorba, breast implants are connected to some forms of cancer? Right, right. We, I've been talking about breast implants for years. In fact, when I initially discussed breast implants on TV, I got a lot of pushback from the plastic surgeons who were doing breast implants saying, you know, you shouldn't talk about this. <clears throat> we should be discussing it with you beforehand. Well, the reality is breast implants have problems. They have had problems. We've moved away from many silicone breast implants, but the FDA recently put a warning on breast implants. By the way, 400,000 women a year in the U.S. get breast implants. 300,000 of them are doing it for cosmetic reasons. Mm. 100,000 of them are doing it because of uh, of surgery, usually from surgery, which are cancer surgeries. So, so for the most part, these are cosmetic issues. When we look, by the way, at how many women have to, because of tightening of the scar breast implants, roughly half of the women who get breast implants have a tightening of the scar around the implant that often causes pain and discomfort, and up to 60% of them actually often need reconstruction of that implant, enough because they have pain, swelling, changes in the skin, lumps, and so on. Anyway, the agency looked at cancer, and they've discovered a rare cancer called anaplastic large cell lymphoma was related to textured implants. So there's a company called Allergan. Allergan has has since taken it off the market because there were 600 cases of this cancer that was found in 33 deaths associated with it. So Allergan took it off the market. But in the meantime, the FDA looked at other implants and found other rare forms of cancers, different kinds of squamous cell cancer, have often, have also rather been associated with these implants. And so uh, the FDA sent a doctor letter 
Dear Dr. Letter, and it says, you've got to discuss this with patients before they actually decide to do this because there are a bunch of things, immune system problems, there may be muscle aches, chronic fatigue, autoimmune disease. It turns out these things have lots of problems, and many women get the implants for cosmetic reasons. So what do you think the answer is, Tom? Um, How do I know what the answer is? Well, that's exactly, I think, exactly what it fits in with this. So here it is. There's a woman. They want to get something. It's, once again, three-quarters of them for cosmetic reasons. Yeah. And, and what's the answer? And the answer in many ways is clearly to say, is this really worth the benefit and the risk? And I think that's the issue. You've got to explain to a woman, these are the risks. This may happen to you. We know there's cancer associated with it. Are you willing to take this risk now? Is it worth it? And then you can make the decision for yeah, yourself. Yeah. I can't have an opinion on this. And that's exactly it. I think it's a women's choice. Mm -hmm. It's an individual choice that they have to make. But they have to get the information in order to be able to make it. And it's got to be really good information, not just, well, here's something and giving you the five or ten reasons, things that can go wrong with the implant. I think you've got to give the information before the implant so you have to go home and you have to decide to do it. So I think the FDA has to require it's not going to be just the moment before you're getting the surgery. It's got got to be at least 24 or 48 hours before you get the surgery so you can make a good faith decision of whether or not it's the right thing for you. Yeah. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Back to the phones and I'll absorb a listener with us in Altoona, Wisconsin. Hi. Well, I have a, a kind of a unique problem uh, with actually my husband does. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer in September of 2019. And so he began radiation therapy, and that's what they offered him. And then they gave him an androgen blocking mm-hmm. uh, drug, an injection. Right. And that was Lupron. Mm-hmm. But he had a, a terrible reaction. He became aphasic. Oh. Uh, terrible depression, oh. memory loss. Mm-hmm. Sure. Not uncommon with anti-testosterone drugs like Lupron. Well, we didn't know that. I guess mm-hmm. they told us that there wouldn't be much of a reaction at all. But the effect lingered until uh, last summer he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Apparently, it was an underlying issue, uh, and the Lupron sort of unmasked that and, mm-hmm. and accelerated that. So now he has Alzheimer's and cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then uh, this summer, uh, uh, his cancer recurred. Mm -hmm. And so he's got stage four and it's entering the bones. So we had a reclast infusion that's Mm -hmm. supposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, And reclast is used, pardon Mm -hmm. up the bone. It's a drug that's used for uh, osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now they're offering him uh, um, the uh, options for treatment would be chemotherapy, but we don't want to do that because that affects the brain, and he has such a terrible reaction to things mm-hmm. like that. So we're thinking of uh, what else can we do? Um, immunotherapy is probably one avenue if he has a certain type of tumor, but we're just wondering to maintain quality of life, right, uh, but also right. maybe keep him uh-huh. comfortable. What uh-huh. is What are our uh-huh. options? Uh-huh. Well... Complicated case, you know, as you imagine. How functional is he with his Alzheimer's? He's very depressed yet. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get him to, you know, motivate. And, and there's a lot of encouraging and, mm-hmm. and his memory is fading uh, mm-hmm. quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're looking at something like this, you have to look at quality of life like you have. You have to then put a number of things into that balance. Is he in pain? Is he in pain right now from, uh, f- you know, from the cancer? I think that since it's just beginning to enter his bones mm-hmm. and we did the reclass, mm-hmm. he really doesn't have a lot of pain mm-hmm. at this point. So, so pain is one of those data points that help you decide whether or not you're going to have chemotherapy. And then you have to look at the type of chemotherapy. So what are the side effects? Is it something that you know, is really going to be a disruptive to his life? Is he, uh, you know, be, and I, I, I think it's, it's a very important thing to go through. So Atul Gawande, G-A-W-A-N-D-E, wonderful, wonderful writer. Uh, he's a physician at Harvard, a great thinker, and he wrote a book called Being Mortal. Get that book. 
Because okay. that book will help you walk through this. Because this was an issue that his father had with cancer. I believe his father had prostate cancer. And uh, it was no one really in the physicians and others got to the point of asking, what shall we do? His father ultimately uh, had to do with whether or not his father was a surgeon, if I remember correctly from the book. And it was, well, how? what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And his father said, well, really want to, I don't, I really want to do surgery as long as I can. So his dad decided not to have chemo and decided to, because that would interfere with his ability to do surgery. And he did it for a period of time. I don't remember if it was six months or a year. But anyway, the real issue is you then look at the bottom line answers. So you've got two things really in here. You have Alzheimer's, which has its own life, life space. You have cancer, which has its own life space. You have someone who will definitely get a cognitive hit when he has chemo. I call it a cognitive hit. No doubt about it. But you have somebody who is not suffering from pain. That book is going to help you walk through this. It's a complicated decision that you have to make on an individual basis. And you've been married for how long? Well, we've been together since 2003. So since and we got married in March so, of this year. <laughs> so, but in 2000, but you've been you've been married. You may not there may not have been a legal marriage, but you've been married to, you know since 2003. So you know how he thinks. So he's given you the decision because you're durable power of attorney, right? I am. Yeah. That's right. So he has given you the person to make the decision. And the way I tell people to think about this is this. You want to put yourself in their place. If they were to make the decision, what would they decide if they were able to do it? Not what would you decide, but how do you think they would decide the decision? In other words, they want you to make the decision the way they would if they were fully competent. That's the way to look at it. Read the book and put yourself in his place back in 2003 when he was really functional. And that will give you the right answer that you should make for him. I thank you so much. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. We appreciate the call at 800-462-7413. 1-800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, let's crack open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox and take a couple listener emails. First, Chris in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, wrote, I would like Dr. Zorba's opinion on vitamin infusions given at clinics that deliver a high dose of vitamins via IV. Are they beneficial? Are they safe? Well, first of all, they are beneficial to the people who are charging for the vitamins. They're very beneficial because they're mucho dinero. They cost a lot of dollars. Are they really good for you? There's no evidence they're better than just swallowing a vitamin pill. Now, if you're B12 deficient and you need injections, that's different. But I think vitamin infusions on the whole are absolutely a waste of money. Want, want to spend your money on vitamins? Fresh fruits and vegetables colorful ones, do that, and a simple multivitamin that you can get for $20 a year. As long as it says multivitamin USP, you're there. Mm. And finally, a listener named Carol asks, if you had the not-as-effective shingles shot a few years ago, is it safe to get the current two shots? The initial Merck shingle shot is not as effective as the present one. The GSK shot is 95% effective in preventing shingles. But the Merck shot was about 60% in effective shingles, and it was the best thing that we had. If you had the Merck shot, great, but you should get the GSK shingle shot. It will decrease the risk of shingles dramatically. And let me tell you, nobody wants shingles. It's very painful, and you can have pain forever from it. So get that shot. And Medicare Part D covers it. Do you have a healthy living question for the good doc? He'll give it a shot. Just post on our <laughs> Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. 800-462-7413 is our number. Before we head out, Zorba, Let's do the segment where we feature what our wonderful listeners are writing on the Zorba Pastor on Your Health Facebook page. This is called Facebook Feedback. Facebook Feedback. 
Okay, Zorba. Alan in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, wrote the following. I am 90 years old. I have peripheral neuropathy due to a broken hip from a fall. I have had three years on and off of PT and OT. I cannot walk without a walker. The PT and OT people think that a cane is not sufficient or safe. I also have very poor balance when trying to walk, and it never seems to improve. I have discussed my condition with the surgeon who treated the broken hip, and he has not been of any help. Can you please suggest a treatment for me? He has not been of any help, meaning he probably said you need a walker. So here you have somebody. They broke their hip. They have peripheral neuropathy. They, he loses his balance, and he fell down his broke his hip, and he wants to get by with a cane, and they go, it's not safe. Can you answer that question? What do you think? Well, yeah, I got yeah. He needs a walker. That's what it is. People don't like walkers. Why? Because they look like they're old. He's 90 years old. He is old. <laughs> I mean, at some point, give it up. You realize you're 90 years old. You fell down. You broke your hip. If you break your hip again, you may end up in a nursing home or you may end up dead. A quarter of the people who die and break their hip in their 90s are dead within two years. The answer is, I'm not going to be of any help. I'm not going to tell him to use a cane. The answer is, adjust to using the walker. Some people can adjust. They put little funny things on the walker. They put some lights on the walker. Or you find a walker with wheels that you like. But the answer is, you're 90 years old. If you want to live until the old age of 91, got to use a walker. Yeah. I, you know, Zorba, you know I use a cane. That's right. And I don't want to have to get to a walker. You don't want to. That's no. right. That's right. And Penny uses a walker and she hates a walker. And you know what the answer is? If you want to live sometimes, you got to do what you got to do. <sighs> okay. Thanks, Ellen, for the Facebook question. And of course, our listeners can always send us an old-fashioned email at Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. And don't forget, you can call us anytime to leave us your question at 800 462 7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next. Zorba Pastor on your health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to zorbapastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's zorbapastor.org.